Welcome to episode three of the Resistics podcast. My name is Callie and I am a female engineer. I hope to change the workplace environment to be more supportive and inclusive of a diverse workforce. Today's episode is the second of a three-part series I'm calling the Startup Saga. The first episode focused on how I got an incredible yet ugly job at a startup company and what the first year was like. Today's episode is going to focus on the bomb that broke me. I can remember the fuse of the bomb so clearly. At our small company, we had daily stand-up meetings to discuss critical topics, issues, and hot items. Although they usually just focused on one woman's personal issues or what we did over the weekend. Anyway, this day was different. The president was there, the CEO was there, the whole leadership team was there, and they were anxious to start. They kept looking around, uh, making sure that everyone was there. The seconds clicked down to 9.15, and they all stood up straight, ready to share. The president, in his smooth German accent, started us off by saying he had exciting and interesting news to share. Now, if you tuned in last time, you know what this sort of news usually meant. Either there was a layoff or the company structure was changing. But today's news was positive and so exciting. We had a major medical device company interested in buying us. I got chills, my stomach dropped, and my chest pounded. Everyone had a million questions. We must have spent an hour going around our standing meeting discussing what it might mean and what to expect. For once, the leadership team was patient. They listened, they told us as much as they could, and they prepared us for a process called due diligence, which was going to be happening in just a couple of weeks. The office environment shifted instantaneously. We had a goal. We had a mission. We were going to blow the socks off those people and show them how great of a product we had and how excellent of a company we were. This also led to one of the coolest experiences of my career to date. With all of the flurry of the acquisition, our president could not travel to Australia to help our distributor there, and so they asked me to go. They wanted someone to go with good communication skills and the technical knowledge. The next week, I was on a lovely 14-hour flight across the ocean in the middle of February. It was a dream. I got to travel around Australia with an incredibly kind and funny distributor showing our product to doctors and potential patients. Obviously, I took some time to enjoy the ocean and beautiful wildlife. The culture of the Australian people is so different than the U.S. They lead a much calmer, relaxed life with a focus on experiences and joy rather than business and to-do lists. But we traveled around presenting the product, demonstrating its benefits over the competitor, and teaching them all how to use it. By the end of the week, the distributor was introducing me as the product development director, uh, because he believed so strongly in my message and my abilities. I felt like I had made it. I instilled confidence in our product across a country and brought a new level of hope to our customers. It brought me confidence I had never felt before. I definitely need to file that as a career highlight. But when I got back, the flurry was still strong and doubled. Turns out the FDA decided it was time to audit us for the first time ever. <laughs> That was quite a whirlwind. I had never been through an FDA audit before. Uh, it was mostly our head quality guy sitting in a room with auditors. He would come out and ask us for documents and explanations and then figure out how to tell the best story to the auditor. But at the end, I got to sit in on the closing statements with the conclusions and the findings of the audit. 
I didn't say a word. I was so worried I'd mess it up. But after all of that, we passed. What a relief. So after passing our FDA audit, we felt really good about proving ourselves to the big company. But we were still so nervous. It was that sort of feeling you have at age 15 before getting picked up before your first homecoming. Or the feeling you have as you get dropped off for college. You know, that sort of super excited but absolutely terrified feeling because you have no clue what to expect. The due diligence was to last two days. 19 men and one woman came in. All of them were in suits. Keep in mind, on a good day in the office, we had about 14 people, since many of our salespeople worked in other states. And we were very casual. <laughs> so there were more of them than us, and they were very intimidating. They took over and they dug in. They evaluated every process we had, every document, every build procedure, every single item. They mostly stayed locked up in our conference room with various people running in and out, printing documents, grabbing materials, or asking questions to justify decisions. They did tour our facility and learn how the device was built by observing our production team. It was literally all hands on deck for two days straight. To be honest, it was way more intense than our FDA audit. And then they left, and it was empty. Our Keurig machine was as exhausted as we were. And then we were asked to wait. But, you know, continue on with business as usual. Ha. <laughs> so I continued my work. Our bank accounts quickly dwindled, and our morale was just nervous. Every update we got seemed positive, but nothing was official. At the time, I was trying to release a new version of our software in time for the next big conference. And the day came where I needed to pay our contract software engineer $4,000. My heart sank when our accountant told me we couldn't pay. Not only did this mean my work wasn't going to get released, but it also felt like it couldn't be a good sign for the acquisition. I was also a little curious if I'd get paid that month, <laughs> so I definitely cried that day. But after moving a few things around, they found the money, we paid, and I got that software released. Whew. Didn't know at the time, but they were trying to get the books as low as possible to help with the sale cost. The leadership team did a pretty good job of keeping us in the loop. We were gearing up for that big conference where we were going to announce the release of the new software and other small product improvements. The real hope, though, was to have a formal acquisition by that conference in order to announce it to our community of doctors. We waited and waited every day hoping for good news. And then on the second day of the conference, it was official. They signed a deal. They bought us. We were not just a tiny little company anymore. We were part of a massive medical device company, one that had an outstanding reputation. We all had chills and tears and nervous smiles. We knew the alternative. If they hadn't bought us, we'd be out of business and out of jobs. But now that they did, what would that mean for our future? The questions were honestly unsurmountable. Would they fire us immediately and just keep the patents? Would they let us keep working like we were, but just give us money and a stronger sales team? Would they ask us all to move? Uh, these were the questions that our leadership team could no longer answer. It was no longer their choice. We all just had to wait and see. A week later, the big business guys came in and held a fancy ceremony at a local hotel. 
They fed us tasty food and introduced us to their big company story, their mission statements, their vast amount of money, and their outlook for us. It seemed so incredible. We felt like we had a future again. They believed in our product and believed they could take it to the next level. Although there were no formal talks of detailed plans or our individual outlook within the company, it felt inspiring and hopeful, and it seemed like they wanted to keep us all. We left that night reinvigorated, and like we were part of this big, successful company. The next day, they brought in HR. We'd never had HR before, so we had no clue what to expect. They held individual closed-door meetings with each employee. Now, as a small company, nothing really stayed a secret between the workers. We were too close, both physically and personally, to not talk. And we really weren't used to big company rules. I was sitting in my office, and our receptionist and our technical support person came in and chatted with me about their individual HR meetings. They were telling me about how one of the sales guys had gone in and only got one piece of paper to sign instead of two, and that second piece of paper was way more important than the first. I laughed along because no one thought that he was all that great. They were making fun of him and feeling validated that they got that second piece of paper, and he didn't. It was my turn. I walked in, a bit nervous, but mostly excited. I'd never met with HR before. It was very structured and formal. They handed me a folder with a piece of paper in it about what my title would be and how much I would get paid, and I needed to sign it by the end of the week. And then they sent me on my way. My stomach crashed through the floor. I only got one piece of paper. What in the world could that second piece of paper be? I went to the receptionist and tech support person in tears, and I asked them to explain to me what that second piece of paper was. Their jaws dropped because they couldn't believe I didn't get that second piece of paper. They tried to be kind and gentle. They tried to spin it into good news, but it all just felt like words. That second piece of paper was a retention plan and a bonus. People who got that second piece of paper were deemed necessary to the success of the product and had a guaranteed position in the company for six months. And if they stayed through those six months, they would get a hefty payout. Bomb explosion. I have never felt that hurt before in my adult life. I fell apart. I felt stupid. I felt worthless. I felt very confused. I felt like I'd been lied to. I felt like an outsider, like I didn't belong, and all I could do was cry. The more people that had their meetings, the worse it got. (laughs) Of the 15 of us non-salespeople who physically sat in the office, three of us, all women, were not offered the retention plan. There is nothing worse to me than being told I am not necessary to the success of the company, that I am not good enough, and that everyone else around me is. My boss came in and asked to go on a walk with me. He spent most of the time talking, and I spent the whole time crying. (laughs) I don't even know what he said. Nothing anyone could say would make any sense or make me feel better. The next day, the leader of the acquisition from the big company pulled me into his office to, quote, make sure I understood and was okay. Here's a guy I had maybe spoken to twice, He was in his fancy dress pants and shiny leather shoes. He was tall and confident and had a super deep voice with just a hint of a southern drawl. 
Was I actually expected to have an honest conversation with him? I sat there with one goal. Don't cry. He spent about five minutes explaining the decision in super businessy terms. I honestly don't remember his rationale, but all I said was, yep, I understand. Put on a fake little smile so that I could get the F out of there before the floodgates opened. I entered into a terrible state of anger and sadness and worthlessness. Now let me take a second to explain why this hit me so hard. I had a less than ideal childhood, and from a very early age, I poured myself into school as a way out. School was always something that I was good at and something within my control. It was also very equitable. You put in the hard work and you earn a good grade. And that sort of dedication helped me get out of a tricky home life and go to college and set myself up for a positive future. But it's ingrained in me. Work is a huge part of my self-value. In addition to that, I strongly believe in equitable workplaces. Women should get paid equal to men for equal work. People should be evaluated based on the quality of their work, not their bromance with the boss. And this retention bonus bomb was the opposite of that. I knew I did great work, critical work, and that others who got the retention did not. That sort of mismatch was just not okay to me. I couldn't reconcile it in my mind. And I was very hurt very angry, and very, very sad. So I continued to go to work, pissed off. I continued to do great work, pissed off. And I continued to compare myself to everyone else I worked with, pissed off. Most of my friends and families that I talked to about it told me to quit. If they didn't value me, then I should move on. But there were two things that made me stay. One, I felt worthless, like I'd never be able to get a job again. And two, I wanted to prove to them that I was great and they messed up. I had endless conversations with my boss about it. I kept asking him how to get better. What did I need to do to improve to be valuable to the company? And his answer was always the same. He told me I did incredible work, well beyond my years of experience, and that it was a mistake. He explained that when they had their meeting to decide who deserved the retention, that the president's justification for me not needing it is that, quote, the big company would love me and I'd have a long career there. So it was never about my lack of good work. It was that the president just didn't think I needed it. He vouched for the people he liked and justified not giving it to three women in the company who were quiet, reserved, and he thought wouldn't make a big fuss. In addition to the retention, I quickly learned I was not paid equitably. I was paid 15% less than the average for my job title in the big company. I actually wasn't even in the range for my job title. So all of those statistics that exist about women in the workforce being paid less and being taken advantage of because of their kind demeanor, I was one of those women, and I had no idea how to handle it. All I knew was that it wasn't right, and I wasn't okay with it. So there you have it. That's the bomb that broke me, but also the bomb that ignited me. Tune in next time for part three of the startup saga, where I dive into how I grew from this bomb and how it shaped who I want to become. I'm also going to discuss how the rest of the acquisition played out. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Resistix. If you like what you heard, please share with your friends and please rate my podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And remember, together, we can change this. Thank you.